Hello, my Lonely Hour listeners. This is your host, Julia, and I'm here to tell you that we have a brand new season that you can find on Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcher.com slash lonelyhour to sign up now. You'll get access to ad-free episodes and archives of some of your other favorite shows, as well as exclusive bonus episodes of hit podcasts, early access to new releases, and over 300 stand-up comedy albums. You'll also have the option to donate to The Lonely Hour, which is the best way to support it. Thank you for helping us keep this show going. This is The Lonely Hour, produced by Pale Groove. I'm your host, Julia Bainbridge. I'm an editor and a writer, mainly about food. But I also have a lot of feelings, loneliness being one of them. I want to explore that feeling because it's pervasive, but the literature on it is not. Each episode of The Lonely Hour is going to focus on a particular topic, whether it's a community or a profession, an age group, or an activity that seems to arouse feelings of loneliness or aloneness. That could be mental illness, for example. Or it could be social media's effect on us. It could even be motherhood. The idea is to catalog tidbits on this very human feeling. Because we all feel lonely sometimes, I want to explore how we feel it. Motherhood is, quote, the state or experience of having and raising a child, end quote. Its very definition implies accompaniment. But motherhood can be a lonely-making experience, whether it's because of postpartum depression, the pressures of guarding a human life, or the quest to get pregnant in the first place. Kate Rope works for Seleni Institute, and she's going to talk about that. In fact, she'll talk about it a lot, and I promise it's not an ad for Seleni, but hearing the range of services the organization offers to families is a lesson in the kinds of difficulties that can come with motherhood. Kate has also written about the loneliness of motherhood from her own personal experience. It's one of the, maybe the greatest identity shift and lifestyle change you're going to go through in your life. And so the expectation that that would happen easily and be this blissful event, this, this Hollywood image we have of it, is just preposterous once you've been through it. But until you've been through it, that's what you think it is because that's what the stories we see and that's the cards and this your beautiful blessing and your bundle of joy and you know nobody says the bundle of joy may drive you crazy for three months because it doesn't sleep and it screams all the time and that may be really hard to hear and you may not feel like it's a bundle of joy you may feel like it's a bundle of burden you know right. I mean so I think I think a lot of this and I know this from talking with the uh, clinicians where I work um, th- that one of the most difficult things is the, is the difference between your expectations and reality. So you have this expectation that motherhood is going to be this beautiful thing and that you're going to do well at it. And then you find out that it's a really difficult thing that you have to learn to be good at. And then that, that clash is, uh, where a lot of women can kind of fall down and, right. and, and struggle. And then when you add that the hormones are on top of this, you know, sort of like puppeteers behind the scene with your moods. Um, it's, you know, it's a perfect storm. Right. Um, this gets into my next question and, and 
to, to name the organization you work for, it's Seleni Institute. And it's a nonprofit that provides clinical care for mothers as well as funding for women's reproductive and maternal mental health research. Um, so you talked about it a little just now, but um, perhaps a mix of you know your own experience and then what uh, the Seleni Institute is discovering are the ma- major mental health issues for, for mothers today. Um, Um, So at Seleni, we focus uh, in five major categories, um, and they're all related to trying to be and and being a mother and a a parent and a family. Um, So we work with women who are struggling with infertility, um, and that brings a lot of mental health issues, and um, those women often feel very isolated and um, really having a place that can support them and that knows what that experience is like is really important. Um, and then miscarriage, which is extremely common, but very rarely talked about and is a loss that involves real grief, um, Mm. but often isn't treated as such, um, and isn't talked about. Um, and then child loss, um, mostly related to stillbirth, which though not as common as miscarriage, thankfully, um, is again, a loss that a lot of our, that our society doesn't really understand or know how to handle. Um, and so uh, we provide support for women who go through miscarriage and child loss. Um, they have something that's called disenfranchised grief, which means it's not a recognized grief. So there's not the typical societal supports in place to help you go through it like there would be when a parent dies and you have you know, funerals and wakes and memorial services and people sort of have rituals and they know how to talk about it people don't know how to talk about it when it's a loss during pregnancy or um, right after birth. So um, those women often feel very isolated and alone. And we have experts who can help them feel supported and recognize that what they're going through is normal and sort of help them, you know, come into a new normal. And then there's perinatal um, mood and anxiety disorders, um, and that can be during pregnancy as well. That's another thing that's now being recognized is that a lot of what ends up being postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety is actually developing maybe about 50% of it during pregnancy. Um, So that's another time that women can seek treatment and begin to address it, and then that will often mitigate the effects of it after giving birth. Um, and then, uh, we do parenting support, uh, for parents of children with special needs, or if your kid's in the NICU, or you're just struggling with getting your child to sleep. So Seleni has a sleep consultant, um, and, uh, a breastfeeding consultant, and we have workshops. Um, so you can come to Seleni for individual therapy. Uh, you can come for support groups related to different topics like infertility or miscarriage or being a new mom. And then there's also workshops on helping get your kid to sleep because sleep is extremely important when it comes to mental health. And that's actually something I didn't mention talking about sort of why does this happen in the first year after um, a baby's born? Well, you're not, that's probably the worst year of sleep you're ever going to have. Right. And, and sleep is just incredibly tied to um, mental well being. So um, a sleep consultant and then a breastfeeding um, a lactation consultant who can help women with breastfeeding issues because having difficulty with breastfeeding, which is common, is also uh, a big trigger for uh, postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. So, and, and there's a lot of pressure to breastfeed. And so when women struggle at it, there's a lot of, um, they, they tend to beat themselves up or feel like they've failed in some way at, at one of the first tests of motherhood. Um, when in fact, you know, it used to be that 
everyone was breastfeeding around you and you learned how to breastfeed and now we're sort of this is you know talking about loneliness and motherhood we're on our own to learn these things yet we expect them to come naturally and when they don't um it's a big shock and it's again that that mix of expectation and reality and so being able to help women um work through breastfeeding difficulties is really important to um to their well-being and also if if they're having difficulty to the extent that they need to switch to formula feeding, helping them make that transition without um, feeling bad about it and bad about themselves. You talk about we're now on our own as opposed to um, as opposed to some time before now. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? What's what's what are the differences? Um, yeah, well, I think that's you know one of the biggest shifts in motherhood that we don't acknowledge explicitly but it you know with extended families no longer living in the same place with families being smaller than they used to be um you know we don't have the village we don't we're not seeing our aunts uh raising kids next to us we're not you know raising our cousins so we're we don't have this support in place and yet we haven't acknowledged that it doesn't exist. So one of the things Seleni tries to do is recreate the village. You know, we mm -hmm. have baby bouncers in your therapy room so you can bring your baby so that you can make it be a more sort of organic flow of getting support with your child and not operating as a, you know, a mother, an infant and a mother just off on their own in a home. But that's that's the reality is that one, we societally, just culturally, we've, we've lost those big families being in the same place. And then our, you know, structural, we have, we, we haven't replaced them with good government structure for childcare and things like that, that would enable motherhood to be an easier task. And so we are trying to do everything, you know, if you're working, you're trying to work and you're trying to make a nutritious lunch to get your kid to daycare, you know, and um, attend the PTA meeting. And sometimes you're falling down at doing that and you see that as a personal failure, but it's not, it's a structural failure. We don't, we haven't replaced the village with, with a good structure that gives women the support that they need that is, you know, part and parcel of of family and of raising people. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that, you know, Seleni tries to create that in the physical space and does a beautiful job. And then I think with my writing and what I'm doing, I'm trying to create that virtually. I'm trying to say um, motherhood is difficult. It's okay to struggle. Um, and when you do, let's create this network that you have, that you can call on, that you can draw on to get the support you need um, to move through that struggle to the next one. Right. Yeah. So speaking of your writing, you wrote um, in the Huffington Post last year an article called The Bittersweet Loneliness of Motherhood. Um, and so I, I wonder, can you describe the feeling of isolation you felt or perhaps still feel as a mother, um, even when, as you put it, you're surrounded by people who love me all the time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's ironic. Um, so there's a couple of things that come into that for me. I mean, and, and some of this has changed since I wrote that piece, but some of it is the same. Um, I think that motherhood is by nature um, a solitary thing. And that might seem weird to say because you've brought another person into the world. But 
that person relates to you in a different way than you relate to them. Um, so it's not an even give and take. And I remember when my daughter was born and I was in the hospital and my mom was there, I said, mom, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for all the things I said to you and for how poorly I treated you when I was a teenager, because I holding this little breathing being right now, I know she is never going to love me as much as I love her. I can just tell, hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that is true that there, there is this, um, there is an imbalance there and it's, and it's, and it's meant to be there. Um, but you have this incredibly intimate relationship with somebody and yet you bear a responsibility in the relationship that they don't. And so that just changes it a little bit. And that is a little bit lonely and isolating. It's, um, it's a privilege. Um, you know, it's this, I, I mean, it's sort of, it's almost like a power trip at times. I can kind of understand how someone would, you know, uh, want to take over the world or something <laughs> because they have power. You know, you feel like, wow, I am responsible for this being. And sometimes that's incredibly, you feel like, like it's a privilege and sometimes it's an incredible burden. So that was what I was talking about um, in the piece. Um, and I think that that's just sort of there. And then there's kind of like, this feeling that a lot of moms have, and I'm not saying all moms have this, and I'm not saying dads don't have this, but I have this, and I've talked to a lot of moms who have this, and I got a lot of responses to that piece from women who said they related to it, which is sort of the idea that a feeling of like the buck stops with me, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's lonely at the top, right? So if right. you're if you're if you're ultimately in charge, <laughs> it's lonely there because no one's above you to uh, bounce things off of. So I. I think that has changed as my children have grown older and maybe, you know, I'm not breastfeeding or I'm not sort of doing these parenting tasks that were exclusive to me that my husband didn't share. Now I feel like our parenting is, is growing and it's, you know, egalitarianism, but I still sort of feel this ultimate responsibility and I can't, and that might be a personality thing. I mean, I do think a lot of women share that. Um, but there is something about that that at times, in, in, in moments of crisis, in moments of or making the right decision about a school or about um, talking about a difficult topic or wherever, I sort of feel like I got to get this right. And there's a part of it I just don't want to give up. There, there's, um, it feels really special. It feels really special that, um, that I got to bring this person into the world, that I got to feed them with my body, which luckily for me was not a difficult thing. There were many other difficult things. That wasn't one of them. Um, and, and that we get to, you know, just like cuddle in bed and tell each other how much we love each other. I mean, it's this fantastic intimacy that's, you know, as good as falling in love with the person you spend your life with. Um, I mean, I guess it is falling in love (laughs) with another person you're going to spend your life with. So I don't, there's a part of it I wouldn't give up, this sort of just special secret bond I feel I have with my daughters that is a little, is solitary, but not in a bad way. Were other friends of yours having children as well? 
Yeah, I was sort of a little bit late to the game. Most of my friends had had already had already popped one out by the time I started. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in the kind of isolation that might come from that. Whether you're late to the game and you feel kind of um, I don't know lonely because you aren't reproducing or if you are one of the first to have kids and there is so much that comes with that that you your whole life the whole way you're living your days becomes different and uh, I, I you know one of my friends who had children early I think that she would feel lonely sometimes even when around us because she was recognizing how different her day-to-day was from ours and there was now a gap between us you know yeah, I definitely have had I've talked with friends who had who were on the early side um, of their cohort, and they definitely felt that way. I don't think I was so much on the late side that I felt that way. Um, I was the only one to have um, to have an anxiety disorder afterwards, and that was extremely isolating mm. um, because I felt like no one could relate to it, um, not even my husband, you know, um, and he really tried and he's he's he just, he just couldn't get it. He could, you know, he'd say these things you're saying don't make sense. And I, and I was like, but they do, they do to me, you know? And, and, and he, there was a point at which I realized he couldn't help me either. Um, which was the first time in our relationship that that had happened. So, um, that was incredibly isolating. Um, and, but, you know, getting back to talking about sort of mental health issues, um, lack of social support is a major risk factor for perinatal depression and anxiety. So when mothers are, uh, women are becoming mothers in kind of a void of support, that puts them at risk. And it makes sense. Um, But that's something that uh, is another reason that at Seleni, they're trying to build the village and I'm trying to build the village in my writing because um, the more support you have, you know, the better your chances of not experiencing it or recovering from it, recovering from it more rapidly. Molly Guy, owner of bridal showroom Stone Fox Bride, was part of last week's episode on social media, but I initially reached out to her to talk about giving birth and about mothering. I think in, like for an in, a couple intimate experiences for me have been childbirth. I've had two kids. Mm-hmm. And when I think about the person that I was pretending to be or that I wanted to be when I first started dating my husband and the person I was when I was giving birth, they're two totally different people. Hmm. And, um, you know, the courtship process, I think, for a lot of women is about, um, you know, shiny teeth and bikini waxes and and giggles and little stories and light meals and brisk walks and hand in hand and all that stuff. And um, that's really great. That's kind of its own, a drug that can be its own drug. But the end game to all of that stuff is um, about real connection. And, and um, I think the couple times when my husband and I were most connected whether or not we wanted to be was when I was giving birth to our kids. And, 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 um, it was totally bloody and, and awful and painful and beautiful and scary and primal. And, um, I'm still amazed that I've gone through that experience with him.
I was anticipating a postpartum depression. And I, in fact, had the opposite. I actually haven't found motherhood alienating, but I also work full time and I have a lot of friends and I'm not living in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? Right. right. So I think I'm really lucky in that regard. I've, it's brought me like closer to the women I know and to women I want to know. And, um, but I'm not with my kids very often. I'm, I'm at work. Mm -hmm. So when I'm with them, I try to be present with them, but you know, I think about my grandmother my, and my grandmother's generation or my mom and my mom's generation. Like they couldn't um, just hop onto a blog and g- Google, you know, mater- uh, what, uh, effects of maternal suicide on children or um, they couldn't, you know, f- log into some chat room and find a community of women who are also having a hard time or there weren't the kind of antidepressants and the medicines and the research weren't available for them back then. My heart actually really aches for, for my grandmother's generation and my mom's generation. I'm amazed. I mean, I know that people were popping a lot of pills in the fifties, especially there was a Mm -hmm. lot of Valium just to get through the day. I don't know how they did it. I mean, being with your children all the time is hard. And, um, especially if you don't have a place to vent or a place to go. Yeah, because it's like on top of being with your children, the expectation to be in a constant state of, you know, bliss and fulfillment with this new role of motherhood. Right. It's the opposite of that. Right. Do you know there's that Jennifer Senior book, All Joy and No Fun, that's, I think, sort of sums up motherhood perfectly. It's not fun, but there is sort of this like beautiful baseline of joy that comes with the fact that it's not fun. Right. I mean, I find a lot of esteem in just being able to care for my kids when, you know, it wasn't that long ago I couldn't even care for myself. When my kids were born, especially when the first, when my daughter came, I experienced this like massive well of like fear and compassion for every living being on the planet that I had never had before. And um, she was born in the spring and the Sandy Hook shootings were six months later. And I felt and I feel that um, like on a cellular level in a way that I never would have before. Hmm. And I think that is lonely. And even today I told my daughter was up last night with a fever and her her neck was hurting. So of course I was on the phone with the doctor in the middle of the night asking if she had meningitis. And I told my husband that today and he was laughing, like, why would she have meningitis? And, and I think she has meningitis because I'm her mom and because I feel her in a different way than he ever would. Right. And, um, that's scary and that's lonely and that's scary as shit. This is conjecture based on what I've talked about with friends. I think fathers are more um, anxious in that like hovering caveman kind of way that something's going to go wrong and they're not going to be able to protect their child. But I think them and they fear it um, as a caretaker and as a provider. But I think as mothers, we, we fear it um, in a, in a different, from a heart place. Like I swear, this is so annoying to say, but like I was looking at, um, I was in the zoo after I gave birth to my first daughter and I was looking at just these like little monkeys and just bawling. Like I couldn't believe that everyone in this world 
had once been a baby and that so many babies in the world don't aren't properly cared for. Um, my uh, uncle wrote a book about um, three survive, three Holocaust survivors, and there's some throwaway line in the book about this baby that was thrown from a train going to Auschwitz and discovered in a, in a field at nine days old. And I often think about babies who aren't properly cared for and who aren't tended to, or the kids in Syria right now, or other refugee places, um, where there are raising a child takes so much. Um, my kids need so much love and so much comfort and so much care and so much, so much. And I think that kind of basic care really informs the way we are later in life. I mm -hmm. think that informs our intimacy. It informs our sex lives and informs our, our relationships. It informs our work, you know, the kind of love that we crave and that we need. Right. And um, if you're not given that as a kid, I don't, you know, I, I dot, dot, dot. I don't know. There are a lot of walking wounded, you know, yes. walking around. And I didn't realize that until I became a mom. Like mm -hmm. I suddenly looked back at every guy I ever dated and was like, oh, my God, maybe that's why, you know. Maybe that's why he never called me back after the fifth date. <laughs> I mean, it never honestly occurred to me that that we were all parented in these different ways that could inform how we love one another and how we need to connect to one another until I had kids. Until I had children, I was very casual with my life. I don't think I've ever said that out loud. I was very casual. I partied very hard. I did not use protection when I had casual sex. I didn't wear a seatbelt and I'll, I really didn't care what happened, you know, and it mm -hmm. was sort of part of that. Um, I thought it was romantic and cool and tragic and interesting. And there is nothing to me that's romantic or cool or tragic or interesting about the idea of my two daughters growing up without a mother. And mm. it is the, it, and, um, like I, I will be goddamned if anyone else raises my kids, and I feel that in such a deep place that um, I take such precautions with my life now in a way that I never would. I get every mole checked out. I wear my seatbelt. I don't cross in the middle of the street. Um, I just val I value my time here because I have to be of service to these little beings. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. But that's the shit. I remember putting my seatbelt on after I had my daughter and thinking like, I can't, I can't die in a car crash. Who's going to take care of her? My husband's going to remarry some like, you know, 27 year old hipster. No, no. <laughs> like this is why this is my primary purpose for today. And, um, and, and, and there's something really scary about that. And it's profound and, and um, terrifying at the same time.
Alyssa Shalavsky is a food and travel writer who sold two TV pitches this pilot season. The first is about dating, and the second one is a half-hour comedy about a woman who decides to have a baby on her own through a sperm donor. In this case, art imitates life because that's exactly what Alyssa herself did. I can tell they're interact. They say I don't have a wedding ring on, and they uh, hear me say like, "Well, I did." It's always like I, or you know, I never refer to like some baby daddy. I can tell that they're wondering what the deal is, and I just always say like, "Oh, I had her on my own." And I, I this isn't some kind of strategy, but um, I say it with like such like triumph in my voice, and like such like I'm so much luckier than everybody else. I had her on my own, like instead of like. Oh, it didn't really work out the way I planned, and like I ended up having to have a baby on my own, um, because I don't feel like I I feel truly like I am so psyched by my decision, and it was so the right decision, and I think that just comes out in the way I explain our situation to people, and people sort of just like it's contagious, like when you think that that what you did was a hundred percent right and like super fucking cool, like the, whoever you're talking to is going to see it that way. Not that it necessarily matters how people see me but the truth is like I'm human and I was a little bit insecure about that like what would people think that I was a freak would people think my daughter was some um, result of a a science experiment you know like kind of like a a weird science experiment Um, would guys think that I wasn't hot enough to get a real man to impregnate me that I had to resort to like these were like very sort of personal fears I had, but um, that, you know, I was a little bit nervous. So now I'm so happy that, like, none of that shit mattered, by the way. Like, like, guys think it's sexy as hell. Other wives think, you know, like, oh, you're so lucky you don't have a, like, I wish I had done it that way. Um, Not all, but I get that. And And other people who judge, by the way, I really could give a shit. What did those mothers who are kind of jealous of your having had a child on your own, what's the reason for that? I mean, I get it a lot, and I think it's a, um, many times because women are just being, you know, they're being sweet, and, like, they sort of mean it, but they don't really mean it. But it's they're sort of trying to um, relate and, like, take, the, take any sort of, like, friction out of the conversation. Um, but the ones who really mean it do say, like, in the early years, especially men, their husbands didn't help that much, and, like, there was a lot of resentment. And managing a marriage on top of managing a newborn is, like, a lot of stress, man. Like, it's a lot. With Hazel, I just have to take care of me and take care of her, and we're sort of, like, the same. When they're this young, you're sort of the same person anyway. Um, So I don't have any of that. It's still, like, a very luxurious lifestyle for me in that respect. Are you concerned about, as time goes on, if it'll be too much? Get harder. I don't think it will. I, I honestly, um, life without a child was so much harder and more painful for me than any kind of struggle I think that we'll face together. I, like I, I was so, I was becoming like this sad and sort of bitter person as I turned, you know, I've always wanted a kid, but as I turned 35 then 36 and 37, I was becoming, um, it was I was becoming a little bit depressed about it, and that's not my nature. And I have no interest in living a sad life. I didn't want that for myself. And so that's what really got me thinking about just, like, 
let's just do it. Like, what the fuck am I waiting for? Like, a guy? Like, that's ridiculous. I'm successful. I have tons of friends who are, like, extremely involved and loving. And um, and I'm really lucky that I have this great, great family and we all live under the same roof. I mean, that's, like, that's kind of what makes it a no-brainer. Um, so I had all those things going for me. And I like myself. Like, I like the adult Alyssa that I, I've become. I became kind of exactly the woman I dreamed that I would be one day. Um, and so, like, why was I crying myself to sleep at night? You know, like that. I didn't I didn't deserve those those feelings. So I was just like, I'm done. Like, I'm done feeling sorry for myself. Like, I'm going to fix this. It's totally fixable. This is 2015 at the time. This is like the new world. Like, I'm going to have a baby. Like, this is what am I waiting for? How did you get yourself out of those depressing thoughts before you decided to have a child? On smaller scales, like, you know, we all have, we call it my family, like the yuckies. Like, you just have it, like, you're having the yuckies. Like, everything sucks. You hate everyone. Nothing's going your way. I have a good relationship with myself where I, I know what to do to feel better. Like, I know, I know that I, like, maybe need to book a trip so I have something to look forward to. I know, like, the one coffee shop where, like, that latte is, like, the best thing that's ever happened to my life, and I just, like, savor every second. I know, like, the, the great um, consignment shop where I always find one thing that I love. And those little um, excursions or mental excursions, physical, whatever it is, like, they get me out of the bad place. I feel better, and, you know, I, I usually bounce back pretty quickly. Okay, so how exactly did you come to the decision, both to have a child and ultimately to have one by yourself? I always wanted to be a writer, and I always wanted to be a mother. I, I don't know when I had those epiphanies, but I'm lucky that I've always known those two things because it's sort of prevented me from ever feeling too lost because those were always like my, my guiding lights or whatever. The writing thing happened pretty, not easily. I've worked my ass off throughout the years, but... You know, I went to college in New York. I interned at MTV. I got all the right jobs. I worked for all the right editors. I worked my ass off. I loved every second of it. And one day I had a book. I don't know how that happened. And then I suddenly, like, sort of became this, like, wannabe TV writer. I don't know how that happened. But, like, that was all working out for me, which is, like, I I don't take that for granted because a lot of my friends are still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And, and, uh, I think that's kind of a fun, creative way to live your life, too. But professionally, I've always been like, I'm good. Um, but as, as, as deeply as I knew I wanted to be a writer, I a million times more even knew I wanted to be a mother. But the problem is I've never been interested in, like, <laughs> I don't want to say nice guys, but, like, traditional guys who, like, want to settle down and get married. I was engaged when I was... 25 to that type of man who was a mensch and lovely and handsome and Jewish and all those things. And I don't know what he's doing with his life now, but I, I hope, wish only good things for him. But I some, I was very uncomfortable in that role. Um, and I sort of extracted myself from it um, before things got too far. And since then, I think I've just been like so afraid to um, be bored in a relationship or be too normal in a I don't know I, I actually 
really do need some therapy on this front because I haven't really reflected yet on why since that since ending that engagement to the nice men who would have married me and given me a lot of babies why I haven't been able to return to that type of man ever again I mean it's been almost 15 years so since then I've I've had a lot of great love and a lot of great romance um, none of which I regret but they were all pretty tumultuous relationships or they just like the writing was sort of on the wall from the beginning or they either like lived in another country or, you know, I, I wrote a book about a three-year relationship with a chef um, who was a delicious human being and sexy and fun, but, but a chef and, and a chef living in another city. And what does that mean? But a chef? I mean, <laughs> You, we shouldn't stereotype, right? <laughs> you said it. <laughs> I first of all, like real chefs, like good chefs, I have tons of respect for, and I truly believe they're artists. Like they, they're or they're like sick geniuses, and like they can get away with anything, as far as I'm concerned, because they're like operating on another speed altogether. Um, but it's a hard lifestyle, you know. They're never home. Like everyone was like. I was so skinny when I, I've never been skinnier than the, than the years I was dating a chef because like no one's home. Like you're always alone. It, it's a, it was, I was thinking about this in uh, coming to visit you today and the loneliest I've ever been in my life was when I was with my chef boyfriend. Um, and it just got me thinking like it's so much harder and lonelier and sadder to be in a relationship that you're uncomfortable in than being in no relationship at all. We're at the age where a lot of my friends who sort of had these uh, debatable boyfriends of like five, six, seven years ago. These some girls sort of like stuck it out with these guys and just like endured all the shit and the the struggle and the heartbreak. And now these guys are like they're getting married and like the, the guys now want babies and whatever. And then I I bounced and I sort of do wonder if I put in more time and I was a little uh, less anxious about the whole situation where we would have been today, but. With him, not with the first guy you were engaged oh, to. Oh, yeah. You, you know what, Joel? Like, I I don't believe in regret, and I never have looked back on my decisions. But when, as soon as I had my daughter, Hazel, something was triggered inside me. And it's like, I'm ready, I think, to reflect on and, like, examine a little more closely my past relationships. Because I've always been, like, an onward and upward person and, like oh, I wonder who's around the corner. And this, like, I've tried to, as much as, like, my heart hurt in a lot of those uh, breakups, I've tried to reframe it like something better is coming. And, like, it wasn't, it, it was wrong. And, like, you're about to find something right. And and that helped me. Like, I'm glad that that's my coping mechanism. But um, now that I think, you know, I think a lot about, like, the things I want to teach her about life and and the mistakes that I want to help her try not to make and things like that. And I think until I can do that, I have to really stare my former relationships, like, in the face. And even if it means, you know, some tears or, or some regret.
So you had these relationships and you had some great relationships, but they weren't correct. Um, and you got out of them and time wore on and you found yourself, you know, in what headspace, like, you know, what pushed you over the edge into saying, I'm going to do this. So you've talked about it a little bit so far. But. Yeah. <clears throat> um, a few things. One, my sister had a baby who I fell madly in love with. She's my younger sister. And I I had only, um, like, love for this child and only, like, p- happiness and joy for my sister. But I did find myself a few times walking away from visits with him kind of wanting to cry. And... Um, and because it wasn't n- not having anything to do with my sister or the baby, but because it wasn't happening. It was just like so um, palpable. Like my childlessness was so palpable. Um, and, and so that, that was, was that a lonely um, feeling? Yes. Yeah, it was. Especially because I'm very much like a never let him see you sweat person. Like positivity is my thing. And I don't think I ever talked to anybody about it. Maybe my mother, but it was extra hard talking about it with my mother and my sister because they wanted it for me as badly as I wanted it for me. So it was just like heavy that it was like heavy. Um, and we're not, we didn't, I don't think we didn't want, want to go there all the time. So I was sort of burdened by my bitterness was growing, um, in a very alone way. Um, and the same thing with like Facebook, it was like, Everyone, anybody who, whether you're looking, whether you, like you want a husband so badly and you don't have one, or you want a baby so badly you don't have one, like Facebook's rough. It's yeah. rough. And then like. You see all these examples in front of you of people who have that and. And it's like, why not me? Yeah. You know, like I would walk down the streets around this time um, and I was 30, 37. Uh, it was about a year and a half ago. I would walk down the streets of like Dumbo where I live in Brooklyn Heights and everybody has a, ba- a baby stroller carrying a toddler or whatever. And I would just say, like, why not me? Like, what did I do wrong that, like, God is punishing me? Like, how did I fuck up my life so bad that every other woman can find a way to have a child and I can't? But you did. But I did. See, and I I hated those thoughts. I, I'm i glad I had them because they were, like, the catalyst for something great. But um, But it was that big, like, what's wrong with me, you know? Um, so, so then... You decided. So, <laughs> I had never. I was much more as as far as like having a baby unconventionally. I was. I really thought that I would be the type to sort of just like get knocked up and have a baby on my own that way, or um, co-parent. Why? Because like by my thirties, I've, I've I'm sort of over. Like I kind of have no interest in getting married. Like even if I met the love of my life outside this door in Red Hook, and maybe I will. Um, I don't want to marry him. Like, I'm just not into it. So, like, you when you rule out marriage, um, you're sort of left grouped into this, like, other set of arrangements, which is, like, you know, co-parenting or, like, a long-distance relationship. Like, these sort of, like, alternative relationships, which I'm into big time. But they don't – they're not necessarily conducive to having a child. So within that type of relationship, it would either mean getting pregnant by someone, whoever um, – which I'm so glad I didn't do, <laughs> um, or having some kind of co-parenting situation, which I'm also so glad I didn't do because I, I, I can see that getting very messy. Um, and then I had heard a friend of mine, her sister was using a sperm donor, was getting pregnant through artificial insemination, which is the worst term in the world. Like we need, it's like 
uh, we need to rebrand this. <laughs> but she was going, she was doing um, insemination. And she, the sister, I hadn't met her, but I knew she was like very cool and stylish and like fun and always had boyfriends. And again, that goes back to my own insecurity. Like I kind of, my ego needed to know that cool women did this. And I don't mean like popular or like, just like a woman that I think is cool was doing this. And so I, I invited her on a friend date. We went to City Bakery and we shared pretzel croissants and hot chocolate. And she was cool. I mean, she had like, she brushed into that cafe with like the right hat on and like the bag and like great posture and big like glowy skin. And she was just like, here's the deal. Like, fucking do it. Like, this is the sperm bank you use. This is the doctor you go to. This is approximately what it's going to cost. And like, hopefully you're fertile and go for it. And I was just like, cool. All right. Yeah. And I went home that day and I like went to the right sperm bank and booked an appointment at the right doctor. I followed all of her instructions. And before I knew it, I was pregnant. what a relief because I'd been suffering for so many years from this childlessness and feeling so powerless over my situation and you know it's like I took control and like I was making it happen like in the click of a keyboard I was like making it happen like I was on my way to getting pregnant hopefully um so since that coffee and pretzel croissant with my friend and this moment I've never had a second of doubt or nervousness um, I've just been incredibly at peace and 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 relieved and like thrilled and excited that I at what then it was like that I got pregnant and now it's that I'm a mom I, I feel very much like, you know, there's like that movement, like single mothers by choice. And I, I haven't really been active. Like I, I don't really identify with that group for some reason. As I, I'm so happy it exists for, for other women. But because I just feel I'm not like a single, like I'm not, that's not my identity, like single mom. Like I'm just a woman. I still, like I'm a woman who, and I guess soon I'll just identify as like a mother, but I'm just a woman like you, like the ladies on the bus and the women at the Soho house. I mean, like at the end of the day, we're all going through the same shit, I think. And we're all a little bit scared and we all, you know, feel fragile and we all feel empowered. And I don't know. I don't feel like my situation made me any more um, like, I don't know the word, like fractured or um, yeah vulnerable than anybody else. So now your daughter is here. It's been four months. Do you find that the pressure of caring for her can be lonely making at all? What I get during that sort of very private, very quiet time of the day, it's almost like a like a spirituality. It's 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 almost like what I think people who really believe in God feel like like they're never alone because they have God and like everything's gonna be okay because they have God or whatever. I can, in that very quiet moment, I can sort of look at my daughter and feel and, like, know that, like, life is good and everything will work out and I'm protected. So that's that's my quiet. Mm-hmm. 
honestly, it's it's powerful those quiet moments. But for me, it's not it's not focused on loneliness at all because I'm not I got I I have her like I have her forever. No one's gonna take her away from me. No one's going to you know tear us apart. Is that should we break into song? But um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just I don't know. It's really powerful in that sense that like we're going to be okay. Like, and for a while I wasn't sure I was going to be okay. And now I can look at her and she's like, I, everything, all the shit that happened with work or the TV deals or agents, whatever, I can look at her and like everything is reset. I get it. I get all of that. And I, I don't know if my journey towards motherhood is part of the reason why I have never thought about it in anything less than like, a joyous, thank you, God, kind of way. You know, like I moved mountains to get pregnant. I spent a lot of money to get pregnant. I went up against some friends and and family members who didn't get it to get pregnant. And so now that I have, that I am, that I that I had a healthy pregnancy, that it worked, that I was fertile, that I had the baby, and that she's healthy and beautiful, I can only like I focus on all of that. Mm-hmm. I don't really. You know, so I, I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. Like, yeah. I don't want to take any of it for granted. And also, it's it's so fresh. It's so fresh. Um, and I can remember so easily what it felt like to not have her mm-hmm. and how sad I was to to be childless. So what when you say going up against some friends and family members, what for the there? most part, everybody in my life from like, you know, my best friends to like the, the lady at the dry cleaners was like, so supportive, like over-the-top supportive, loving, uh, generous. Um, I had one or two friends that uh, said things like, I'm concerned, like this, have you thought this through? And like, you don't make that much money and da-da-da. And I didn't want to hear it. I just, I didn't want to hear it. And my philosophy was, if you're not going to 100% support me and my pregnancy, then you can't be in my life. You just can't. And I was pretty fucking harsh about it. Um, it ended up in a catastrophic fight with one of my best friends. And we, she, she was just trying to be helpful. And she, it was coming from her heart. And I, I just fucking, like, voted her off the island, like, so quickly. And thank God we've made up. But, um, yeah, that, you know, there, I was very sensitive. Also, you're hormonal. And, like, you're getting fat and, like... I was very sensitive during pregnancy. If a friend canceled plans on me, you know, we all flake on each other all the time. It's like the New York way. And I've always loved friends who flake because it means I can, <laughs> I owe them a flake. Um, but when I was pregnant, I would look so forward to seeing my girlfriends. And if somebody bailed, I would be, I was so hurt. I was like devastated. Um, I really needed my friends during, the, and I still really need my friends. Do you ever feel like the fact that you had a baby in a relatively unconventional way is a kind of boundary between you and other mothers or even other people in general? You know, like I'm Jewish, but and I, I'm like I'm not religious, but I'm very sort of like cold, proud to be Jewish and I'm kind of uh, active in like various holidays and stuff. And I go to the Chabad in Dumbo, which is like super religious people, but Chabad's whole way is like to not be judgmental and be open and be kind to all. 
And when it came to my daughter's baby naming, in traditional Jewish like uh, ceremony, you say like daughter of, and you name the husband and the father and the, and the woman. And they went out of their way during this baby naming to never make it an issue, to not even like, not even let me know that they uh, rewrote, you know, the prayers or whatever. They just made it so smooth and natural for this this for Hazel, my baby, to only have a mother. And it's like emotional to talk about. If this rabbi was okay with me having Hazel through this like completely unconventional way, through like modern medicine, basically, and an anonymous sperm donor, like that was so touching to me. And maybe it's because on a deeper level, I feel like that means, you know, God is okay with it or whatever. Um, Now I sound like this Orthodox Jewish woman from... No, but you're saying if he was okay with it, then friends of yours should be okay with it. And if they're not, you were really prepared to weed whack, you know? Oh, totally. And I still am. It's like that, it's that like mama bear roars. You can be like, I am alone a lot of the time without being lonely. Like, just because. Yeah, and part of that is the way that you're wired, and part of it, I think, because you're decisive, you've almost been decisive about not allowing yourself to dip into that place when you feel it. Um, So you don't. Can you write that down for me so I can say it? You don't. uh, You don't entertain loneliness, really. Exactly. Yeah. Loneliness is that person I blocked from Facebook. I think it really does come down to that relationship with yourself. I really do. And if you can nail that healthy relationship with yourself, it's really hard to be lonely. Because when you have a chunk of time when no one's calling and no one's texting and no one gives a shit where you are, you can either look at that as like, wow, like I am unwanted in this world. Or you can look at it as like this huge opportunity. Like, great, I can like go sit at Balthazar and have that, like, glass of champagne, like, that I haven't had the chance to do for so long, or I can dig into this book, or um, call that friend in in San Francisco. You know, it's like, it's so how you choose to see these moments of isolation. For more, head to thelonelyhour.com.